What's up, y'all? Hey, as always, thanks for listening to the Good Newscast. Uh, you just got me today. Every now and then, Jeff and I can't podcast together in a given week. Stuff comes up, um, whatnot. So uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about the character of God. Jeff and I have talked a little bit about a great book that came out recently, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. You can get it on Amazon, probably 15 bucks. I highly recommend it. You know, if I were to put together like a top five reading list um, of books that you should read and you should read repeatedly, go back to every now and then, this easily makes the list. Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland about who God is really. So um, let's get into this. I, I grew up in a Christian household, Christian parents who taught me the gospel uh, would go to church, was taught the gospel around uh, high school, uh, I think is when I came to faith in Christ personally, and and then kind of mid-high school sensed a call to ministry. Um, and, and, you know, was leading Bible studies, just gung-ho about ministry and sharing the faith and growing in the faith and things like that. Around college, there were two instances where I essentially hit a brick wall spiritually. And um, I had to be honest. I, I was forced to be honest with myself, with God, and I wanted to quit. And I would have these, I had these two, I remember two times of having these frank conversations, these frank prayers with God, where it was, God, I want to quit. There's no way I can keep going forward in Christianity. Um, this is this is exhausting. Uh, but I knew in the back of my mind that it was like, I'm missing something, that this can't be what Christianity is, however I'm living, because nobody could do this for the long haul. And at the core of my spiritual fatigue was a desire to please God. I, I wanted to know that I was pleasing God and I was pleasing to God, that he was pleased with me, but I just could never secure it, could never secure it. And, um, and I was, I was completely exhausted. We know physical exhaustion can hurt, but there's no exhaustion like spiritual exhaustion. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said the mind can descend far lower than the body for in it, in the mind, there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more, but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. There is a, there is no pain like spiritual pain, spiritual fatigue, spiritual exhaustion. And our uh, this dying in 10,000 ways in our soul, I think is often the result primarily of laboring and toiling to win God's heart, to know that we're pleasing to him, to know that we're okay in God's eyes. Um, and that laboring is the result of attention, I think, that goes on in us. On the one hand, we know that God is holy righteous, sinless. He's the judge of all the earth. And he, he is a God who punishes sinners. We see that in the Bible. And on the other hand, we know God is gracious and merciful and saves sinners through Christ. We see that in the Bible. So the question is, which is it? What is God really like? What is his deepest heart? What is God really like? In this tension can be a bottomless pit where we die in 10,000 ways. So what is God really like? Most spiritual exhaustion, I think, is the result of not getting that the, the answer to that question right. And in Matthew 11, uh, again, very influenced by Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland's book, in Matthew 11, Jesus preaches into this tension that we feel, and he says, this is the heart of God. This is what God is really like towards you. Now, 
in Jesus' day, everyone around Jesus had an idea of what God was like. This is natural. We wonder. It's natural to us to wonder, what is God like? And there was a, the, the, the debate about God in Jesus' day was really the debate underneath the debate of who Jesus is. So in Matthew 11, the debate is raging about who is Jesus. John the Baptist is even asking, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Um, this debate about Jesus is raging, and really underneath it is the debate about who God is. The idea was, well, okay, if, if God, God would never hang out with this kind of person, but Jesus does, so Jesus must not be God, right? So, so people's understanding of who God is and what God was like then was applied to Jesus to figure out who is Jesus. Is he God or, or not? Um, what is God like that is the question that was the question of the foundational debate underneath the debate um, uh, of who Jesus is so we'll look at a few clues uh, quickly um, to, to get an idea of what people thought about God and then how that was applying to how they were understanding Jesus in Matthew 11 before we look at those key, uh, uh, clues we've got to understand that in Matthew 11 Jesus says he thanks God that God has is revealing who he is to people. And this implies and shows that we need revelation of who God is. Uh, We naturally get God wrong. In and of ourselves, we naturally get God wrong. If he was standing in front of us, we would go, ah, you're not like God at all. We naturally get him wrong. So how were they getting him wrong? Clue number one in the text um, is that Jesus says um, it is... uh, It's actually the wise and understanding getting God wrong, not the little children. It's the wise and understanding, the very people we would think are getting God right are getting him wrong. Specifically, the religious elite, the spiritually, the spiritual elite, the intellectual elites, the hard workers spiritually, they were the ones getting God wrong. But it was little children, the burdens of society, the needy, the embarrassing, those who have never put in an honest day's work, they were getting God right. Um, what this means is that we think God is only accessible naturally. We think God's only accessible and welcoming to spiritual performers, to the mature, to those seasoned in sanctification, those who have something to bring to the table, not little children who, who can only receive. Okay, clue number two about how people around Jesus were thinking about him. Jesus says in verse 28, Matthew 11, 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus is here speaking to uh, and into spiritual realities, okay? He's speaking about spiritual labor, uh, uh, spiritual fatigue, depressed souls who are who are heavy laden, people feeling the weight of sin, feeling the weight of God's holiness. Is there any grace for me? Um, and this weight actually came directly from the religious elite, the religious leaders of the day. Jesus said they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. So what this means is that um, the, the people in Jesus' day and how we naturally with them think about God is we think God's only accessible and known to those working extremely hard. Okay, Again, that's very similar uh, to, what, to, to what I was just saying, but it's the spiritual elite, those working really hard, putting in a hard day's work, bringing something to the table. Those are the people who will know God. And the result, the result was this crushing pressure this crushing pressure of trying to know I please God and I'm pleasing to God and I'm okay in his sight and I can rest. And there's no more exhausting, spiritually depressing work than that. So the people around Jesus thought just like we do. Who is God really? He's inaccessible and distant, but sometimes he does come near. 
What's his disposition? He's annoyed at best, usually angry, but then sometimes randomly relents of his anger. What's his heart like? He's exacting and demanding or else if you cut him open, what does he bleed? Justice. What is he eager and excited to do? Give sinners their due. If he wakes up on the right side of the bed, he wakes up to punish. If you catch him off guard, his flinch is a flinch of rejection. That's what God is like. That's his deepest heart, uh, we think. And after all, he's holy and righteous. He hates sin. I'm a sinner. And so we hope against hope that maybe through enough hard work, we can escape judgment. Maybe accidentally, maybe through a loophole or a technicality, we might catch grace. Now, what can put us into a tailspin is that isn't a lot of this biblically sound? We are sinful. We do deserve punishment. God does punish. God does punish sinners. He has an exacting law that demands perfection. Hell is real. This chapter uh, where Jesus is giving these this famous uh, um, uh, this famous you know sermon, if you will, this famous call, I should say, of come uh, all who are labor and heavy laden. Even in this chapter, it speaks of judgment. Um, but yet we also know that God can be gracious and merciful, that he sent Jesus to die for sinners. And so again, we are in this tension of what is God really like? What is his heart towards me? And many of us resolve the tension by embracing a technicality. We think we are forgiven and accepted on a technicality. And it goes something like this. God is gracious. And for some strange reason, he sent Jesus and I've believed in Jesus, and I'm forgiven in Jesus, but God has now grown tired of me, but he can't do anything about it. He can't do anything to me because of the technicality of Jesus. He tolerates me based on a technicality. If he could take it all back, he would, but he can't, he won't, because he's God, and he's going to stay true to his promise. And so God tolerates me now as a, on the basis of a technicality. And so in this technicality, in this technicality thinking, it, it doesn't actually give us rest. And so we still exhaust ourselves trying to win over God's heart. We don't want to just be accepted on a technicality, you know, like like a like an adopted child who whose parents don't like him or her. And, and, and you know, I'm just content being accepted on the technicality of my adoption. No, I want to know that I am pleasing to God. I want to win over God's heart. And so into this reality, Jesus reveals the deepest heart of God for sinners. And he says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, come to me. This might sound terrifying because the last place I want to go to with my sin and shame and darkness is to God. And yet he says, come to me because I'm going to give you rest. And this is immediate rest. It's not the result of labor and heavy work, of getting rid of sin, of cleaning up your life. It's the result of quitting. It's, it's, it's the result. It, it is rest because you've quit. You've given up. And this rest is deep. The, the word here is the same word uh, that, that, that speaks of, that describes the disciples when they sleep in the Garden of Gethsemane while Jesus is praying. It is the rest of sleep. It's the rest, it's the rest of, uh, of, of giving up and of quitting. Not the rest of, oh, I've done enough hard work and now I can relax. How is this rest possible? How can sinners rest like this um, in 
the righteous judge of all the earth because of what God is actually like. He says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me for this is rooted in, it's because of for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Gentle here is the same word that describes Jesus when he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. You've never seen someone riding on a donkey and thought, wow, that person looks bold and above me and intimidating. No, someone riding on a donkey looks gentle, welcoming, approachable, accessible. And he says, I'm lowly or humble. He's the opposite of being distant. He's the opposite of kind of, um, you know, being above someone in this kind of demeaning way. Uh, He's the opposite of frightening. He's the opposite of intimidatingly bold. No, he's lowly. He's not intimidating. Um, he's not above us in this sense of I'm, I'm above you and you're just beneath me. Um, he's not scary and aggressive. He's mild. He's tender. He's accessible. He's safe. He's inviting his heart towards you towards sinners is compassionate and gentle. He feels for you. He's accessible. He's not on the edge of a seat ready to condemn. He's not on the edge of a seat ready to punish. He's on the edge of his seat ready to forgive. That is what you get when you go to him with your sin. That is all you get when you go to him with your sin is his gentleness, his lowliness, and his eagerness to forgive and give grace and mercy. That is his heart towards you. Um, that is why in Ezekiel, it, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is committed to justice. To be sure, he is righteous, pure, holy, hates sin. But what does he take pleasure in? What does he take pleasure in? He takes pleasure in giving rest to embarrassing, shameful, dark sinners. That's his deepest heart. Puritan Thomas Goodwin, uh, massively influential in writing the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, he said that punishment for sin is God's, quote, strange work, but mercy pleases him, end quote. He is committed to judgment when needed, but he enjoys mercy. Jonathan Edwards, famous for a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Think about that for a second. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He said, quote, God is a God that delights in mercy and judgment is his strange work. He's committed to judgment to be sure when needed, but he delights in mercy. R.C. Sproul said, quote, even though God is committed to judgment, He doesn't get his jollies by subjecting people to punishment like a sadistic tyrant would. But how natural is it for us to think the opposite? To us, grace feels surprising. It feels strange. It feels accidental. uh, It feels technical. Um, And that's because we think God is like us. We are quick to anger. We're quick to be distant. We're slow to mercy. Um, But in Matthew 11, Jesus says, good news, I'm not like you. Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, says, We tend to think divine anger is pent up, spring-loaded. Divine mercy is slow to build. It's just the opposite. Divine mercy is ready to burst forth at the slightest prick. What does this mean for you? This means if you bring Jesus your sin, your hardcore stuff, the only thing he knows to do is welcome you with grace and mercy. That's the only thing he knows to do because it's who he is. It's what God is like. It's the heart of God towards sinners. It's the heart of God towards you when you come to him with your sin. Your confession is like that prick. At the slightest prick, 
mercy flows. You think, Colin, you don't understand. What about my sin? What about the sin I keep going back to, the unspeakable things? I'm a pathological liar. What about the abortion I've had? What about the affair? This text responds, you think your sin repels him when your sin is the very thing that drew him out of heaven. I mean, it wasn't your goodness that brought him out of heaven, right? Jesus said, for I came not to call the righteous. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. He came for sinners. In this text, Jesus is only calling sinners shameful, the shameful, the vile, the wicked. He doesn't say, come come to me, all who are gentle like me, all who are holy like me. No, he's calling sinners to himself. Thomas Goodwin, again, he said, your very sins move him to pity more than to anger. In other words, let's say it like Paul says it in Romans, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now, you might think, okay, Colin, I get this. Jesus is gentle and lowly, but what about the Father? What about the Father? Remember this. It was the Father who sent Jesus in the first place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. And Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. If you prick Jesus, whatever he bleeds, the Father bleeds, figuratively speaking. The heart of Jesus towards sinners is the exact heart of the Father towards sinners. This is the heart of God for you. For God so loved the world and has so much pleasure in giving mercy to to the wicked. He has so much delight in giving grace to sinners, so much joy in loving rebellious people that he sent his one and only son to bear the hard yoke of the law and live a sinless, perfect life for you so that his yoke on you would be easy. It'd be the yoke of resting in his finished work. He came to bear the heavy burden of the cross and he He came to bear the strange work of judgment so that his burden on you would be light. It would be the the yoke and burden of resting in grace. So yes, it's true. God has wrath, but he doesn't want you to ever experience it. And so Jesus bore it on the cross. It's true. God is a judge, but he wants to declare you innocent. And so Jesus was declared guilty in your place on the cross. Yes, it is true. Hell is real, but God doesn't want you to go there. And so he sent Jesus to the hell of the cross and the hell of condemnation on the cross for you. God is gentle and lowly in heart towards you. When you come to him with your sin, the dark, hardcore, secret stuff, the only thing he knows to do is give you grace upon grace upon grace.